0: Welcome to the What's Up with Docs podcast, the documentary podcast for all of us. I'm Tony Bell, the creator and host. And this week's episode, I speak with Lily Zapata, director of Mr. Toilet, the world's number two man. In our conversation, we discuss our mutual goofiness, how to best create strategic partnerships, and how her film is the best shitty movie ever made. Because there are very few popular songs about pooping, except those that are for toddlers going through potty training, I asked Lee what she wanted her episode song to be. Being the child of the 90s and wanting to keep with the water adjacent theme, she picked TLC's Waterfalls. Here is our conversation, which was recorded in May, 2020. Um, so I came to know about you um, because um, we're both members of Brown Girl. Mafia. And I was looking for films for Docu Club, which is a work-in-progress screening series um, where I work. And you submitted Mr. Toilet, the world's number two man. And in a world of, like, depressing and devastating documentaries, I, like, laughed so much out loud while I was watching your film as I was cringing at watching the close-ups
1: of shit. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you can't eat. You can't like eat and watch my film. No, you this can't. Work. It can't. No.
0: But it was great. And Jackson is such an amazing character, and his passion just kind of ranged through. And,
1: um. So how did you how did you meet him? Yeah. No. And thank you for saying that, because you also rushed, watched a rough cut, and that's like very is insecure for an artist to have somebody watch the rough cut. So I'm really glad you like Jack, but I found him because, um, I don't know if you remember hearing about this, in the news, but the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation in 2012 launched what's called a toilet challenge. If you can believe that's a thing. They, they, all these schools around the world were competing for the best toilet and Bill Gates awarded Caltech for the best toilet. And I was like, no way. That's a story. Um, so I went to go see their toilet and after a while they were like, Hey, you know, if you think what we're doing is so interesting, you've got to contact this guy named Mr. Toilet. And that sounded even better. I got his Skype name and his Skype name is urgent. Gotta go. <laughs> and with within five minutes, my producer Chavy and I like just knew he was a character, right? You know, when you talk to people, you're like, what? He's like, 13 years old, but he's 60. How can this be? Um, and I just knew he could carry a film, right? You just put a camera on and and the show goes on. So yeah. I think that's how yeah. that's how it all went down. But it's yeah. great.
0: Um, you mentioned the Mill and Melinda Gates Foundation because I actually um, was in Seattle last May um, for the Seattle International Film Festival and they were having an event there. And the cool thing about the foundation is, you, when you go in, they have all these exhibits, and they have they have some of those toilets that you mentioned. It's like, well, they have like a lot of low tech um, services, like and, and interventions for people in these various countries, and it's really fascinating. And you can walk through and see how they work, and um, it's part of the exhibit space. And so, give you, you do a little squat? No, because there it was. It was a big event, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're trying to keep your cool, all right. I was right. trying to
0: keep my cool, but I was like, "Oh, okay. this is great! This is great!" But <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize that you had like partnered with them until um, I went to your website. I'm like, "Oh my god, that totally makes sense."
1: Yeah, I mean, in some respect, in some respect, I mean, they are really. Uh, careful about what they fund and whatnot so in the beginning when we spoke to them it was more about permissions to film some of their events that that were a more closed basis and then towards the end actually after our theatrical they invited us to Seattle at a theater and hosted our screening they sponsored the event uh for some some teachers to also come and educators to learn how to teach this to their kids and stuff um so that was also part of them sponsoring it and yeah, we had like 300 people in the crowd and it was wonderful. That was like my best crowd was in Seattle.
0: Because we've had a lot of conversations about shit. And I wanted to share my own like bidet story. Please Because <laughs> we, we talked about this. Please. But um, I went to Korea for the first time um, in October. And I, I I, had experience with bidets um, like over my, my lifetime because I'm older. Um and, but fairs were like the most amazing bidets. So it was- um,
1: In South Korea, really?
0: Yes, like, oh my God. Oh. Okay, well, first of all, the hotel we were staying at uh, was called the Conrad. And it was like a, I was like a seven-star hotel. I mean, I know there are no seven-star hotels, but you know, in my world, yeah. So the bidets were, well, it's like a combination toilet bidet, heated seats, Oh yeah. Okay. Um, heated water. You can adjust the temperature of the water as well as the direction of the temperature, and it will blow you dry. Yes. Yeah. And, and in music, did it have music as well? No, it didn't have music. But I, heard, but some of the restaurants did have those, and I thought that was like amazing because, you know, you don't need. There's no need for toilet paper. Or you use a little That's toilet like paper to, like, to right? Dry, I know. A toilet paper to dry, off, to dry off. And I remember like coming back here and you know using like toilet paper, like, oh my God, this is so friggin' barbaric. Right. And and now uh um, you know, with everything that happened with COVID in the United States, I mean there was like a run on toilet paper, so it's impossible in some places it's still impossible to find um toilet paper. But there has been um, an increase in bidet sales. And yes. you, as part of Mr. Toilet, way before all this started, got a bidet company on board. And I remember for your, I think it was was for your Doc NYC premiere, you actually commissioned an artist to create a toilet and then you were giving a bidet giveaway
1: or oh something like that.
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah, you're such a stalker. That's awesome. <laughs> um, <they're> like- <laughs> <laughs> I am. a watching. You know stuff that I totally forget. You're right. Tushy, they, they make bidets that you can attach to your toilet. So they make it easier than having to kind of buy a new toilet, right? You just attach it. And I remember meeting their company, but I had contacted one of their execs and he was totally on board. He was like, we can't fund like a screening, meaning like we can't bring a bunch of kids to like a screening on a weekend, but we for sure give free product to your opening, your opening weekend. And so they gave the portable bidets and then also gave us some of the attachment ones for us to try. And um, separate, just an artist who's followed us for the, like the last five years decided to make us paint us a toilet that spun around on this like I, I don't know. He's like, he, he made this turntable so that it would spin around at the theater. When you walk in, um, it was also like well lit and everything. It was just wonderful. Like marketing for us. It was so wonderful. It was beautifully painted. And yeah. And that so, was just from
0: your Instagram pics.
1: Yeah. So. He's like a toilet artist. who has been following us and he drove for up four hours, like from upstate New York, just to come to the theater to like place the toilet there. Um, and Mr. Toilet was going to take it home, but it, Probably was going to cost too much to ship it to Singapore. So. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so so
0: wait, what happened to it? What happened to the toilet?
1: I think he took it back home. Like he really wanted Mister Toilet to have it, but he decided to keep it. I don't know. I could have brought it for you if you really wanted it. I, could, I had, you know, my
0: apartment's kind of small,
1: but okay. I don't know,
0: but it was pretty. <laughs> but so, how did you get um, Tushy involved? Like, did they approach
1: you, or did you approach them? I approached them and. It's, it's intriguing to companies like that that are fairly new to, to partner with you or that, that know of Jack Sim. I think one helpful thing that I have is that anybody in sanitation or water at least knows of Mr. Toilet and likes the idea of him. And when you've brought a film all the way to the end uh, to where it's going to be in a theater, that it, I, I think companies will at least consider that partnership because there's going to be eyeballs. And I intended to sell out on our opening nights at least. And so they get a shout out, plus they get their, you know, something small to donate. So they didn't, they donated the portable bidets. And that was kind of part of the deal. And they also, we also had coupons just in case anybody wanted to buy stuff from there. But they liked the shout out and they appreciated being part of something that eventually they they want to give back to. So they brought a lot of their, um, Staff to watch the film, and they were extremely moved. And what they said was like, "Wow, that film made me realize the good that I want to give back to wow. once, this, once this company kind of gets up and running." And the funny thing, right, when COVID hit, that company's sales went bonkers—like bonkers. Everybody's buying a bidet now, and everybody's on board with that. Um, yeah, yeah. if you go to Tushy's website,
0: um, they—they've actually. You had to back order them because, yes. yeah, especially certain models. So, yes. yeah, because I've been I've had that on my list for a minute now, too. You have
1: to. You have to. I mean, the way my animator put it for me, he's originally from Delhi, but lives in um, Canada now. What's your animator's name? The company is called Good Bad Habits. Okay. And um, the the guy I would interact with mostly is Kunal. And he said, Lily. He's like, have you ever eaten a plate of Indian food? And I was like, of course. He's like, would you wipe your plate just with a napkin and then call that clean? And I was like, um, no. He's like, "He's like, that's what you do every day. With that, with <laughs> that nasty ass toilet paper. Yes. He's <laughs> like, that's what you do every day. You're disgusting. And I was like, change my mind immediately. In my head. Boom, right. Changed. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's
0: true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have another bidet story. So okay, um, the first time I ever went out of the co- country, I went to Nepal. This is when I was in college in during the last century. Uh, yeah, during 1991, I never, I had never been anywhere. I'm not, I'm any, anywhere. I'd never been to Europe or anything. So I, and I didn't make no effort whatsoever to learn about the country at all. So I was like, I'm going to Nepal and Mount Everest and Kathmandu, and that was the extent of my knowledge. So. Like, talk about crazy, crazy, crazy culture shock. Like, the worst culture shock, like, ever. And I think we were all going through that, then, you know, because of the weak American stomach, you know, getting the Jarty and the dysentery, and we were staying with host families. And, of course, it was like they had the Asian toilet. And I was so resistant, and I was desperately holding on to my toilet paper. Uh, but my um, host brother came to me twice, and asked me to stop using toilet paper because it was messing up the septic system, and you know, and because I'm, I was like, in really, in my Americanness, I, I, I lied and said no, I'm not using it. When, when I think about like, who the hell else was it? You know?
1: <laughs> oh my God! So, That's being young and dumb, right? I know,
0: right? So so finally, he came to me a third time and said, like, it, it was very nice, and I'm sure, like looking back now i think it was like probably utterly humiliating for him to have this conversation with me and i feel so (laughs) bad about it but he said you know um if if you don't stop i'm gonna have to talk to your advisor i I didn't want that to happen because like that would have been like utterly embarrassed it was like awful conversation to have so um i um i said okay i broke down i said okay i'm not gonna use the toilet paper anymore and then i started using the water i'm like wait a minute, this is actually cleaner. I'm like, oh, I can bring some soap up in here.
1: You got a taste. Yeah. Oh my God, you got a taste of yeah. this a long time ago. And still to this day, that shows you how locked in culture is, right? Culture is so, like has a hold on you. And even though you had a taste of like a cleaner butthole, <laughs> you still to this day are like, nah, I want a dirty one. <laughs> but
0: I, I remember when I came back, to the states it took about six weeks for me to get used to toilet paper again so i would still like oh. i would like bring in like i have i remember i got this this big gulp like cup and like would put water in it and then try to do it like the asian way like yeah you know, and then just dry off with the toilet paper but like our toilets aren't made like that so it wasn't convenient so i just reverted to the nastiness
1: again <laughs> Yeah, you went back. I went, went back. back.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it really is. Um, I mean, it's more sanitary. It's, it's a cleaner option. And yeah, so yeah, those are my my two bidet stories.
1: <laughs> I love it. I don't have that many bidet stories. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the first time I used one. I was too afraid to use it as when I traveled to Europe in college. Too afraid. I thought it was like weird and disgusting and gross. I thought that was weird. But I used it in like a friend of a friend's house who lives in Venice, who decided to get a fancy toilet, and he's like, "Use it. It's the best experience of your life." And he and I like just remember feeling like, "Wow, I'm so refreshed."
0: Um, yeah, but I want to ask you about some of your other partnerships because uh, so if y'all go to the Mister Toilet website, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you can see a whole list of. Um, people organizations that I'm um, Lily partnered with for the toilet. So you have Kohler on board. So how did you get them involved? Cause I, when I think about them, you think about like, like fancy, like expensive, like water fixtures that I could probably never afford in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get them on board?
1: That was an act of God for sure. But I hit them at the right place at the right time is what I will say. I mean, it, it, obviously when everybody is thinking about their subject of their film, I'm sure you can think of three or four partners that would possibly be aligned with your subject. And they were one, obviously because they're in the toilet business. But another reason was because they decided to make partnership with Caltech. And I was already really friendly with Caltech. Caltech was inviting me to their meetings so I could learn all about the sanitation and new toilets. And because of that relationship, they were able to invite me to a meeting when Kohler kind of flew their private plane out there to kind of see how they could get in on this Bill Melinda Gates initiative and also help them build their new solar powered toilet that was going to be distributed in India. And then I told them that I was starting to do a film about this, and it just became an ongoing conversation. It was a literally six month conversation. And so they had to get. You know, a certain amount of execs on board. We had to put all these pitches together. We had to give an idea of how this would help their brand and their PR. So it was a lot of creativity in the form of how do we really collaborate and make it a win-win for both of us and And I think that that what helped me was having a really good producer on board, Chevy, who had been in the business for a while, that they felt like, okay, she's she's gonna finish this film. She has a team, she knows what she's doing. And I think you know my marketing background helped. I knew how to put pitches together. I knew I knew how to write fairly well. And I think everybody in documentary knows people and knows relationships. So I just used those relationship skills to build with somebody there. And I became really good friends with their PR person. Um, and that, yeah, and it was an act of God. They had never funded a film before, but they were deeply, deeply interested in sustainability. And I think what people don't know is that you have to understand those companies even giving maybe $50,000 or 100000 it's a small amount compared to what they spend on other things having to do with marketing. It's a very small amount.
0: Right. And, and especially, like I guess, when you consider the marketing budgets of some of these companies, like fifty to 100000 is really a drop in the bucket for them. And really, they're not having to, well, they're having to do something, but not do as much. I mean, you're essentially, well, advertising, I don't know if that's the right word word for it, but you're getting, helping to get their name out there.
1: Yeah. And it's not even that because they don't, they really were careful, you know, a documentary, you got to be careful about like how much you truly market unless like, you know, unless there's, something that you truly can tie in that, you know, like the, the greatest, what is it? The greatest movie ever sold uh, Morgan Spurlock. The purpose of that was to find a sponsor. So the purpose of that one was more outright marketing, whereas they, you have to understand when, when companies do PR, they're looking for social responsibility. They're looking for sustainability. So in some ways they're looking to fund things that are not just marketing, but they're looking to fund things that, Um, They can later talk about that we gave money to this very important project and they can write, do a little separate story like video on for their website, or you'll see their logo at the end of the credits, right? So ours was definitely not outright marketing. Like we didn't ever promise them your, your logo is going to show 10 times, five times because we didn't want to ruin the kind of authenticity of the story. And the integrity, right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that had to be talked about, but I don't think they expected like all out marketing the way we think of marketing, but it was more of kind of that they were part of this movement, if that makes sense. Right, right. Wait, so you have a,
0: you have a background in marketing. Talk about that.
1: Uh, so I used to work in marketing for Whole Foods Market. Um, and then I ran a market, a small boutique marketing firm in El Segundo for four and a half years. Our clients varied, but she started out in medical marketing. And then we kind of expanded to some retail, to some interior design and some like, it just it changed. But um, I came from a journalism and communications background and then somehow landed in marketing for a while. I kind of took a turn and then came, came back to story, journalism and film. Okay.
0: And that that obviously has served you well in um helping to promote this film, um because uh, in my conversations with filmmakers, um especially because uh, the um, grant writing landscape, well the granting landscape is so competitive um out there, and people are really funders are really trying to make decisions between like multiple good projects. I'd really tell people that they need to be creative in their um fundraising strategy, as well as the audience and distribution strategy. And I'll throw ideas out there with, to them about, you know, developing these strategic partnerships and you with this film has done that successfully and not just like with corporate partners. Um, but also, well, you, we already talked about the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. Um, but also water, water aid. aid. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the world bank and United nations, um, Water for People, I don't know who they are, but you can you please tell us and like water.org, <laughs> you know. Um, so how did you um, divide your, essentially divide your time between like these quote unquote nonprofit and NGO organizations and, um, and using, helping, essentially asking them to help in the promotion of the film and then the corporate entities?
1: Yeah, I think it was especially a lot of the, the pre-production when you're you're still trying to fundraise and do all these things at the same time, what you have to really think about is building an army. And that's how I thought of it, is like building my army and and every time somebody else comes on board, there's this creates this legitimacy that you have for your film. So and these are obvious choices like water aid, water for people, all these ones that are supporting the cause already, why wouldn't they want to be on board with a film that's eventually going to get the word out in a very humorous humorous or a different way that they have not yet? Um, and then Jack Sim, that was helpful that they knew him. United Nations obviously knows Jack Sim because he was the founder of World Toilet Day. And so all of them were involved in various different ways, whether it was helping us market the film Or connect us to possible funders, or connect us to people that could all that could intro us to other people. Um, It was so all of them don't have to be used for the same thing um, necessarily, but all of them should be on board as as a is a partner and just kind of asking them how that looks to them and continuing to talk to them and update on the film. It takes a lot, but it totally pays off because as soon as people start seeing what you're seeing, when you go look on the website, you're like, wait, you're a partner with all those people. People feel a little bit more trust involved in funding you or helping you with something. And so that's something that I knew ahead of time. It's like you build your army and then people are like oh okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah yeah and so um jack helped to facilitate this a lot of those um, introductions so
1: some of them mm-hmm. some of them like he'll do an initial email introduction but some of it also takes digging on my part and a lot of phone calls a lot of skype sessions a lot of like telling people you know a lot of people don't know what a documentary exactly means or is or like how you do build this character-based story because a lot of nonprofits are used to like the you know really short stories that are on their website that are a little bit different than an act 1 act 2 act 3 so it's really like educating them but yeah oftentimes jack was helpful in an initial intro but he's so busy he doesn't have time to facilitate like obviously all my conversations so. right right
0: right cuz he's traveling all over the he's all yeah. over yeah well oh, speaking of him and then I want to backtrack a little bit but how is he doing with all everything that's happening with with COVID? I mean, I know Singapore, I, Singapore has actually yeah. been doing pretty well, right? If I I'm just trying to remember news report.
1: Yeah, they they were open to an extent, but it's also because they have lots of testing and they're just very strict about how somebody quarantines when they do. They're prepared for this. They have pandemic hospitals. I think they recently went into lockdown until June. So I know he's like painting a lot because he's an artist, and if anybody watches Mister Toilet, he. He's obsessed with making a giraffe on a lamppost. So I'm sure he's doing stuff like that where he's painting a lot. But him and his family finally got to watch it as, watch the movie as a whole recently because um, his kids hadn't seen it yet and they watched it at home. But yeah, he's used to being on a plane and he's not going anywhere, anytime soon. Because
0: he was at the Hot Dots premiere, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, also the
0: yeah. and so for... Um, it premiered hot dogs uh, last year and um there's this awesome another pick because you know like I said like you say I stalked you (laughs) of of you and Jack in poop costumes and there's a little kid in a rainbow poop costume
1: oh that was my niece I involved my family in my marketing so we just like the day before the premiere we like ran around the whole town in poop costumes and I don't know if you know this but Toronto has a toilet. Cabinet. I
0: know a poop cafe. Did you go? Yeah, no, I haven't been. Okay, so I I, saw, I discovered it in 2018. After I visited this like this amazing vegan pizza place, and I was kind of walking back to the hot dogs area, I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is amazing!" And I sat down to order, but I was just too full from the very good vegan pizza. So I was like, okay, next time. But then I did I forgot about it until I saw your post on Instagram. And I still yes. didn't make it there. But it's on my radar for next time I go to Toronto. Yeah, Okay. So yeah. it's called the Poop Cafe,
1: y'all. I think it's Poop Cafe. Yeah, it's Poop Cafe. I think so. And it, you sit down and you literally eat out of a bowl that looks like a toilet. And imagine like a swirl inside that you're eating. Um, and they also have like toilet paper roll, which is like- This is a napkin I roll. Think- Right. Well it's a, it's a it's a roll with Oreos in the middle. I forget what the outside is, but it's actually the whole thing you can eat. But everything is perfectly themed. Perfectly themed, very high in calories. Yeah, even just the seats wonderful. are
0: like replicas of toilet seats. So yeah, yeah. It's it's very it's very focused. <laughs> <laughs> so I also wanted to ask you obviously Jackson is compelling, um, character but this is your was your first full feature documentary right first feature documentary yeah mm-hmm. it
1: just doesn't feel like it because to the to date it's been six years right so it just feels like you've been through a couple of lifetimes but yeah first first feature and
0: I remember that we talked that you would actually pitch this at big sky um
1: yeah many, uh, it was the
0: first place the first place you pitch okay
1: and then I you pitched it and I was so nervous because it was like it was um, Alex, who's now at CNN, right? He used to be with Tribeca. It was Nikki from POV. And um, I forget the other gentleman's name. I'll remember him in a little bit. But I just remember it feeling like American Idol, right? Because there's three judges. And I'm like shaking. It's the first time I've ever pitched. I was the first person to go. And all of them were just super honest, right? In their own way. Um, so yeah, I, I, it also helped me change and change the story a little bit and help craft it better. So yeah. yeah
0: and then I mean also like did you have any reservations about dealing with a uh, such a
1: taboo subject um no i didn't because i feel like that's my lane like if i if somebody doesn't want to talk to it about something i totally want to talk about it and i think that's what <laughs> i think that's what me and jack have in common is that i kind of like i like picking at things i like Starting trouble a little bit, but I also really? like, starting. Yeah, I do. So Would you describe uh, yourself
0: like, as a shit stirrer?
1: Yes. Okay. My brothers, my brothers would describe me as that. You know, like I just kind of like do something and I watch it all crash down. But yeah, I think I wasn't. I wasn't uh, grossed out by it or anything. I just think I get tired of, of being the poop girl because I didn't realize this carry like every every other day in one of my dms or my messages or my texts i get a story about poop or a funny video about poop or a meme so i've become that girl and i guess i didn't i didn't know i'd be so closely associated with it with poop With poop. yeah i mean i <laughs> is fine but like i have other weird things besides poop that i like so i guess That's the only part. I hope to erase that eventually. You know, I can only go up from here. Well,
0: okay. So I have to ask like weird things like what?
1: I just like weird. I like strange people. I like really strange people. Like I met this girl the other day who teaches people how to have intimate encounters with nature. And she goes all over the world taking naked pictures of herself on different trees.
0: Like on on trees?
1: Yeah. She'll be fully wrapped around a tree with her naked body. And she's a really good photographer and she sets up the camera like so and she'll take a picture with her with it. but it teaches, she teaches other people like what exactly species of tree that is and where it was like originally like planted and born and why it's so, why nature is so important to like, you know, be intimate with and all this stuff. Like, so she has her master's degree in um, like biology and something else but she's also a naked photographer and she's known as the tree girl. So like, yeah. So I like like things like that.
0: So talk about your relationship with Chicken and Egg. Well, first of all, tell us what Chicken and Egg is about and what they do for for those folks in the audience who don't know.
1: Yeah, Chicken and Egg Pictures is in New York, and they're a nonprofit that funds um, first-time and second-time female uh, filmmakers. And I uh, was first awarded um, fellowship to their diversity lab And then I was um, moved over to their accelerator lab, which is where they pick 10 women every single year to mentor. So they take us to festivals and teach us how to pitch. At the same time, they keep us, um, we keep them updated about our story. We get to show them rough cuts and we have one-on-one meetings with their staff like every other month. And it's just this amazing it, I mean it, it feel I feel every first time filmmaker should have this opportunity I really do because it just feels like you have um you have somebody holding your hand along the way and also saying don't worry like keep going and and you know if you, if you're stuck somewhere they'll help you get unstuck or even if you just need an introduction or whatever it is I do feel like you're, you feel like you're not alone, um, and I do feel like a lot of film, filmmakers feel alone because they're doing a, you know, they're barely getting by and they're just trying to move things forward. And this helps make the process a little bit easier. So I was able to get a grant from them as well as a year mentorship. Where at that time it was actually eighteen months of mentorship, but now they've now they now they've made it a year. Chicken and Egg provides support for like first and second
0: time feature right? just, Yeah, yeah, and. For particularly for folks and for women who are in the development phase, Um, because there are there's right now unfortunately there's very little resources for doc filmmakers in development. But Chicken and Egg is one of the key organizations that offers that. So y'all should um, get on their mailing list and um, apply. So talk about your work with Brown Girl Mafia.
1: Oh well, I'm I met Yabo through Chicken and Egg, which is interesting. Uh, I was actually out of those 10, they were choosing. I was like number 11, which is why like they didn't choose me right away. <laughs> Uh-oh.
0: You you got waitlisted.
1: But I fought my way through and then I made it. Yay. <laughs> um, but Yaba was there and that's how I met her. And I know she'd been talking about this for a while. And she is so amazing at um, organizing. And she's so amazing about, I mean, she's been part of so many different organizations and has, has been both a filmmaker, but behind the scenes. Is that that's why she was able to kind of use all her knowledge to finally put together Brown Gold Doc's Mafia. And the reason I got more involved in LA because I noticed there was a lot of going on in New York. Right. So my friend Tiffany and I, who's Tiffany. Dutton, yeah. Tiffany. Tiffany Jenkins, yeah. Yay. Love her. She's the best. And so she'll, she's she been helping me plan things in L.A. And I feel like it's a little bit more difficult because there's a community there in New York that felt more regular and there was regular places to go. But L.A. is this big, sprawled out city where traffic is is really difficult. So we actually unfor- we actually planned something and then COVID hit. So there was supposed to be an event early March, but we decided to cancel it. Um so I hope to get those up and running soon again, but Brown Girl Docs Mafia has been really, really helpful as well. And especially at Sundance where um, I forget how many women went last year, but I mean, hundreds of women, hundreds.
0: Yeah, it was 100 because I remember in that that meeting we had um, with HBO uh, in 2018, Sundance so 2018, there were, were, there were a lot of people in that room, <laughs> yeah. And some amazing, like an amazing group of, of filmmakers.
1: Amazing. And just to be able to have access to ask the questions that you mm-hmm. need to ask, to really just get direct, honest answers, and to just have knowledge of like where to go next. Right. With some of these networks. Okay,
0: yeah. So let me ask you this. So why is... Um, And I know the answer to this, but, (laughs) but why, how has um, browgirl.mafia been instrumental in opening up access for women and non-binary people of color in the, in the documentary field?
1: I just feel so much more seen. Um, That's the only way I can put it. I just feel seen and I feel it's a safe space. And I feel like when I go to, uh, a lot of different other conferences and that and stuff i feel like um women of color especially get kind of washed out. there's that feeling of being washed out yeah. and brown girl docs mafia feels very empowering and it feels like something is happening and small step forward and I feel like i i, I can be seen and heard again um, i don't know what it is what is it for you? Well, for me, it
0: is about being seen um, and also being heard, but also validation that um, a lot of things that I have had to deal with, you know, especially working on the, the industry side in a predominantly white environment, I'm not crazy, <laughs> you know, um, like, yeah, these, and I know I'm not crazy because I've had a lot of therapy, but... <laughs> Thanks. But Thanks. but um, it's good just getting that validation and um, but also what I really appreciate around with Brown Girl is that Yabo and um like folks like Emily and everybody else is like on that on that that team are really focused on us like creating and supporting our own.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, and and even just even just something simple as having the Facebook, and we're trading. Yeah, trading jobs. Trading jobs trading that, yeah. And that that in itself is just like okay. Right. Right.
0: right. You yeah. know, and you know, when I um, need films for docuclub for my for my day job, you know, I'll post some of there first, and I've gotten some great responses. I like obviously including yourself. And I mean, I I think it's my responsibility um, as a gatekeeper, even though it's a as a small gate, (laughs) to um provide to provide that access. Like to for me that that's I have like to me that's paying it forward, Um, as well as my my obligation to myself and my ancestors (laughs) as a Black woman who were denied access, as well as like uh, to other people of color who have been through that experience uh, as well know and providing a route um for us to tell our own stories
1: what a beautiful way to think of that as well like providing the access that your ancestors never had
0: yeah yeah because um i it's my responsibility you know and um and it's something that i take seriously and that's that's what i that's what brown girl um has done for me even though i've been kind of on a I would say on a, on the lurker side, just because there's so much to do, but um, but yeah, it's just a lot of uh, really a grounded place of support for filmmakers who are like us and who want to um, celebrate people who are who are like us. So, I kind of want to go back to the marketing piece a little bit because I found like a lot of first time filmmakers. You know, I'm reading through applications like every day. And a lot of filmmakers, when it comes to that audience and distribution section, i.e., how to market their film, if they're they're first time filmmakers, they have no clue what to put there, and it's just a matter of them not knowing what they don't know, you know. Um, So, what advice like would you give to first time filmmakers when they are creating that outreach and distribution plan? Like some just a few tips.
1: It really is having to get a little bit uncomfortable in 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 the sense of reaching out to people that you normally wouldn't reach out to and just say, hey, will you kind of be on my team? And it, it'll help you get used to pitching as well. It'll make you practice because you'll get so solid with your story and how you, you'll get so solid with your elevator pitch of what your film is, what your vision is, and why you're doing this. And If the person on the other receiving end of of all these organizations that you would like to be partnered with or you would like to be aligned with, if they hear that passion in your voice and they really, really are aligned with your um, vision, they'll totally get on board and be able to help in any way they can. And when you talk about marketing, I think of the part of the reason why I did it is because I know I'm just one person. And so if you think of it in terms of, of an army, you know, think of it as in terms of any celebrity, you know, they have an army of marketing people. That's how that's how and why you know about them is because they have so many people managing their marketing. And so as an in-film, how can you build that for yourself? And the first place to start is any organization that aligns with your subject matter or your vision. And then even just going through, you can even do something as simple as going through the staff and maybe who are the funders of that nonprofit organization. Who have funded previously that organization, just really taking a huge list and then breaking it down to calling like at least 10 or 20 of them and just seeing how they how they can collaborate with you and you being creative and coming up with your own ideas. I think what we do have on our side is that we have the we have the ability to tell story, right? And marketing is just telling a story, right? But just in a different form. So kind of just really get help, you know. Get in, get a little uncomfortable so that you make your make your life so much easier later on, and um, that was my approach. Is just really reach out, really reach out. You'll get some no's and you'll get some confusion. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Like, why are totally you contacting fine. me? We don't do yeah. documentary. We don't do that. <laughs> who, who what? what? Who, I don't care. Okay, fine, fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be sorry later when you see me on a billboard. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so there so there I'm making a movie about toilets we're just getting a little uncomfortable and I understand that filmmakers tend to be on behind the scenes I get it but in order for your film to have a fighting chance in this world where we don't have millions and millions of dollars for marketing budget, you gotta figure out like a different way to do it yeah
0: and what's the best way to like initially approach them like should people send a, a full pitch deck or what's the what's the best way to begin that introduction
1: Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I think with each is different. I definitely think just a simple email that kind of either gives a link to something or a link to your website or or, or something simple. And then also just to, to summarize who you are, what you're about, and maybe that you'd like to talk over the phone as well. Because sometimes talking over the phone about it is is a little bit easier and it's a little bit easier to get an idea of who you are. And just making, like think of this person as your friend. Like they're just your friend on board helping you doing doing this. Um, so, and I tend to have to follow up a lot. So I would email and just understand people are busy, understand that people have their own objectives and just check in every once in a while and then maybe try to make a phone call. If that doesn't work, then you can totally move on. But yeah, start small. They don't need to see a full pet- pitch at first, but be prepared to answer all the questions that you think that an organization might ask you. Like why you, um, you know, all the questions that grants ask you are going to be the same questions that they, that um, that they're going to ask you. Lily,
0: in her beautifully irreverent way, takes us on a journey deep within ourselves that challenges us to really think about the impact of something that, if you are regular, you should be doing three times a day. Lily also brings the funny to a doc world that rarely has the opportunity to laugh. Lastly, with Mr. Toilet, Lily demonstrates the importance of strategic partnerships and knowing your audience. One of the hardest things about filmmaking after completing the film is getting the word out about it. Filmmakers should reach out to NGOs and companies whose missions are in line with that of the film. Be brave and be persistent. And think about what you can do to truly achieve that hashtag booty fresh feeling. Stay regular, y'all. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. Visit our website at what'supwdocs.com. That's what'supwdocs.com. And make sure to sign up for our mailing list to get the latest show news. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at what'supwdocs. Again, that's what'supwdocs. And remember, keep telling your stories. The What's Up with Docs team would like to acknowledge the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Schumas and Tongva on which we are recording this podcast. Today's program was hosted by Tony Bell and produced and edited by Rennell Schubert. Music is by Sierra Thomas.